0: and wouldn't you know it spider-man turned 60 years old you bet you get 60 candles out get it on top of that cake today we are talking spider-man spider-man 60th anniversary 60 60th birthday! Holy crap, how did that happen? Honestly, I thought he'd be older. Uh, 60 seems kind of young to me, but we go all the way in. There's a brand new, giant, massive uh, uh, tome book. It's like it's like one of the Ten Commandments celebrating the 60th anniversary with all the original Stan Lee, Steve Ditko stories, and we are going to go deep into... Uh, the creation of Spider-Man, the claims by both parties, and what makes these stories so exceptional—and really, really—why all you need is those first 38 issues. Anyway, today on Rob's Observations, and we are back at it with another episode of Rob's Observations. I'm your host, Rob Liefeld. So happy that you can join me today. And we can chat all things Spider-Man because that is what this episode is focused about. If you clicked on it, if you read the uh, episode description, you you will know that before I have engaged you here. It is the 60th anniversary of Spider-Man this year. 60. 6-0. Feels like he should be older. I, I gotta be honest. I, I I feel like he's like 70 or 80. 60 seems honestly really, really young for uh, th- this year. This incredible icon that has been burning bright since I was, uh, just a kid. Uh, Spider-Man is Marvel's most celebrated, most recognizable character. I, I, I believe over time, and we've covered it here many times on this podcast, he is their most popular character. The, uh, episodes that I've done about rankings and sales, uh, there's one about, uh, I think there's two different episodes called The Numbers. And in both of those, one is maybe called the Numbers Rank and File, and number one's just called the Numbers. Uh, they both carry vital information about how through 1972, 74, 78, 80, you know, through a decade, through 85, Spider-Man was still always the franchise face of Marvel Comics. It started out with um, the spin-off of Marvel Team-Up. It then soon after had Spidey Super Stories, which was dedicated to the younger reader Uh, especially those who are watching The Electric Company that had little kind of live action bits of Spider-Man on them, which kids like, I would only watch The Electric Company to watch the live action Spider-Man bits. And The Electric Company was a kid's show, much the same way Sesame Street was a kid's show, but Marvel had licensed out Spider-Man for live action appearances for them. So as young, as far back as I can remember, Spider-Man was everywhere, all the time. Uh, Marvel Team-Up followed Spider-Man and either up new and upcoming characters that would benefit being alongside Spider-Man, uh, and 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 that Marvel Team-Up became a top seller for Marvel. Then they spun it off in 1976 with Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, uh, which was absolutely necessary given his pop- popularity. But there were uh, uh, parameters on that book that were. Handed down to the editors and the and and the powers that be at the time that they they didn't want that book to circumvent the primary stories and characters in the Amazing Spider-Man, which would be the uh, the Green Goblin, Doc Ock, Mysterio, which is why Peter Parker gave you uh, more of a spotlight on characters like the Tarantula, and uh, and built out a lot lots of new nemesis um, and, and maybe un, 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 uh, unfamiliar nemesis. Uh, in that book, it, they really wanted Amazing to remain flagship in every sense of the word. Spectacular Spider-Man had its fair share of guest stars as well. Moon Knight, uh, The White Tiger, uh, you know, j- just just it, it, it was a constant um, showcase, uh, a rotating showcase for Marvel. But by that time, I mean, you've got now four dedicated Spider-Man comics. And that's just, you know, 1976. So Spider-Man has always been a flagship Uh, face for the company and now he is 60 years old and one of the um, amazing parts of an anniversary is all the extra stuff that you get out of an anniversary because you know publishers and licensors do not lay down and 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 just kind of let that stuff go by they they absolutely look to um, to 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 monetize and to uh, to to you know promote And, 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 uh, how do you say monetize, promote, specialize, celebrate with, with a bunch of different, uh, a bunch of different collections. And there is a handsome, handsome, uh, collection, uh, that, that, uh, that, that has been released that I, I was, you know, kind of toying around. Should I get it? Should I not? Um, and you know what I I I I bit on uh, this incredible collection, Marvel Comics Library Spider Man Volume One, 1962 to 1964, by Toshin T A S C H E N Toshin. This thing is like two feet tall by by 18 inches. It is massive. It is uh, 698 pages. Uh, the act, you know, the uh, the actual measurements are fifteen and a half by eleven. Uh, this uh, Toshin collection, this hardcover, is like one of the Ten Commandments. Another like one, it's it's like the Five Commandments in in Charlton Heston's hands as he's coming down Mount Sinai. I mean, it, it, you you definitely would have a. I mean, I feel like it would stop a bullet. There, there's a couple of these collections as they've gotten more, you know monstrous in their size and their, and their, in their, and their, their girth, uh, that, that, uh, the, the, these, these feel like they could stop bullets. This one is Im- Im- impeccably produced. There's a, a form of a newsprint on these giant size pages, uh, in the issues, um, that are one Spider-Man one through 19, obviously the amazing, amazing fantasy is in there. And then the Spider-Man annual, the first, uh, Spider-Man Annual, and again for a total of 698 pages. That's some behind-the-scenes, uh, you know, sketches, information, some uh, a couple of different forwards and recollections, and this thing is an incredible uh, piece of publishing. Uh, not, not only is it the special like newsprint type material in between the covers. When you get to the covers of each issue, they are on a nice, slick, shiny cover material, separating themselves from the. Newsprint that follows it, you know, prior and then immediately following the cover, so you are getting like cover, you know, really slick cover material inside of this seamless publication. It's it's really uh, uh, an amazing uh, collection, and and really proud and happy that I pulled the trigger on it and I finally got one, and uh, you know, also just in time for for this giant 60th anniversary. Now, what it contains, like I said. 1 through 19, the annual Amazing Fantasy. It is, the, to me, the backbone, the crucial, the most important works of Spider-Man ever produced. In recent uh, podcasts, I've shared with you that uh, Nicholas Hammond is the name of the actor. Some of you may recognize him from... His role that he played in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as the director, the very flamboyant director, he had giant silver hair, and he was telling um, D- D- DiCaprio's character exactly how he wanted to be, you know, dressed and adorned in his Western, uh, the, the, the 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 Western guest spot that, that DiCaprio was doing. Um, Nicholas Hammond was one of the kids on Sound of Music. My generation knew him as Peter Parker in a number of different CBS TV movies and a short-lived attempt at doing an hourly. The, uh, the the Nicholas Hammond was the perfect uh, Peter Parker slash Spider Man, and again, if you watch those, even in 1978, the way that they have him crawling up a wall is a figure who is doing these arm movements, like he is crawling while there is clearly a wire pinned to his belt, um, that and he's facing the building. So, but it's slowly pulling him up. Um, the action is limited. The special effects are very subpar. The costume is good. And Nicholas Hammond and the J. Jonah Jameson castings and all of the others um, are, are, are 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 entertaining enough to keep this, at the time, 11-year-old glued to, glued to, to the screen. I mean, I, I loved it. Kids of my age who are now 50-year-olds like myself or, or late 40-year-olds, we all recall seeing those Spider-Man CBS movies, the big splashy ads in the TV guide, the commercials, you know, building up to and from uh, each and every, in, in every episode, uh, the the Nicholas Hammond era that was about a two-year period on CBS. Again, CBS was the number one network. Dallas was their flagship show. They had taken over from like ABC. CBS was on the move. They had those nighttime soap operas, Dallas, uh, Knott's Landing, and they had The Incredible Hulk on every Friday night, which had become a giant mega hit for them. It was the kind of the signature Marvel achievement of the time was the Bill uh, Bixby Lou Ferrigno uh, live action Hulk show. So out of that came this Nicholas Hammond uh, Spider Man uh, live action show. And, and I'm, I'm going to tell you, I, I you know I was hoping to see him in No Way Home. It didn't ruin No, no Way Home that he wasn't in it, but it would been it would have been so great if in some capacity he had been able to walk through a scene or two or three. Because again, there's a generation of of us. Of us bronze era, seven, you know, seven 1970s era fans who really remember him with great fondness. If you Google it, it, you'll see it immediately. You will have no shortage of pictures of both Nicholas Hammond and the Spider-Man that he portrayed. Uh, so, so again, I'm I'm eleven. You know, I'm I'm the key age. And and the reason I'm dwelling on this is during that time, Marvel uh, with put, put, put out small point of purchase. Uh, digests of Spider-Man that were sold at the grocery store. And I've covered this, how they had about the first 12 issues, Adventures of Spider-Man covered between the two of them. There were six and six. And they were both, they both had the Steve Ditko covers. And on one, he's punching Electro. uh, And on one, it's just Spider-Man swinging towards you. But they were like a buck 95, Uh, they were, they were, you know, right there as your mom was ringing up the groceries with the, with, with the cashier, they were next to the Disney dial, uh, digests and the TV guides. And it was just like impulse buy impulse buy. And in fact, I had either by putting them, putting my own money for one of them, or then begging my mom to spend on the other. Uh, and again, this is time of great. This is a, a time period, which like now is uh of of astronomical inflation and the reason i bring that up is it wasn't as easy for my mom to just uh flippantly spend two bucks on our kids two bucks was a lot of money and and every dollar counted and we were not a wealthy family we were very much a blue-collar family my dad on a uh, lowly pastor's salary and my mom worked as a secretary so we weren't exactly swimming in um, long greens and uh and so, so that so to get that concession But anything, I think, just uh, to kind of shut me up at some point and and maybe three times in at the drugstore or the grocery store just to stop me from my uh, form of whining, whatever I was doing. But those digests contain the original Steve Ditko, Stan Lee Spider-Man stories, and they're phenomenal. They're fantastic. They were uh, my favorite Spider-Man stories of the age, more so than the Spider-Man comics that were coming out at the time. Now, I've also divulged, I was not the biggest uh, solo Spider-Man title fan but i did buy each and every issue of marvel team up and this is the beginning of what would be this enormous era for an artist named john byrne who electrified all of us and he had done about a uh, year and a half run on marvel team up so at that point i am getting spider-man regularly through marvel team up but these these digests and the work of steve ditko and and seeing electro and craven and mysterio and vulture uh and Doc Ock and Green Goblin all come forth, come to life. Uh, What an amazing group of villains, and we'll get to that in a little while because the rogues gallery of Spider-Man is so... um, Kind of signature, I think, to his overall appeal. But uh, So so, so Spider-Man was absolutely being... being I was exposed to these original Spider-Man adventures uh, at at, at a time when Spider-Man was on network television. And to see... These issues, in addition to several more, again, all the way through the first annual issue, issues, uh, the 19 issues of Spider-Man plus the annual in this giant Toshin uh, collection is breathtaking. And I have spent uh, a couple hours already pouring over it. And, uh, well, my, my wife is like, so, so, you know, what's this? Why is this in our collection now? Um, because, you know, I always have to finagle for the space if I want it out and I want it accessible. Husbands, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, you're like, well, I guess I'm going to have to take these three Star Wars art of books and remove them from the shelf to make room for this giant shelf. And I need to make sure it's a shelf that has enough, uh, you know, support that this thing is not going to collapse because I happen to have put this next to the uh, th- th- this basically same-sized Deadpool Home, which comes in a really nice slip cover that came out a few years late a few years ago that collects a number of different uh early Deadpool appearances and uh has my art all over it so I love having it around it's 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 like an, a sense of accomplishment I'm not gonna lie uh and 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 it, it it's weighty it's heavy so putting the Spider-Man on the same shelf as that because th- again these, these things are like two feet tall I mean it, it, it says 15.8 inches, but man, it, it it feels really like these things are are are, are gigantic, and so I need the, the the this one particular spot on my shelf that these fit on. So I did in fact take three different Star Wars like art of books removed subtracted so that I could then add and make sure that those you know support underneath them wouldn't have the shelf buckle. But uh, in between putting that up and down off the shelf. I have poured through it as a giant tomb. imagine, imagining again, it's, it's, uh, you know, 15.8 inches tall, 11 inches across. You open that and make that now a double page spread. You're looking at a 22 inch, you know, spread uh, across your table. And, uh, so my wife is like, you know, what's, what's it, what's, you know, what's up with this? Why, why is this so special? And I'm like, Oh, it's the Ditko stuff. It's the Ditko stuff. And, uh, just, my admiration is pouring all over these pages. And she's like, it's just a shame that nobody knows who Steve Ditko was. And her, her words really resonated with me. And it's true. And I, I cannot underscore enough that it is a damn shame that Steve is not as well-known as Stan. And that is by his choice. He is a famous recluse. Um, we're going to discuss a little bit of the Stan Lee, Steve Ditko dynamic which is as problematic as you could possibly imagine it being. And we're going to do that just a f- little bit further down the road here, um, if you just allow me uh, 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 s- some bandwidth to get there. But we are definitely here to discuss all things Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. But before I launch straight into a lot of this um, Stan and Steve kind of, uh, you know, back and forth and, and this, this idea of, of credit and ownership in this toshin giant book again I, I which again in inflation i mean i know this is a ridiculous time uh to, to even talk about a book that's that's 200 dollars plus but but that's that's what it's going to set you back it is uh a, a, again you can see why my own wife came came uh, kind of uh sniffing around like what's this why is it so big why did it cost so much why do we why do we have it why is it taking up space again you know familiar territory for some of us um some of us who 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 walk around planet Earth with the with the the you know the the the, the very heavy label of collector collector dangling around our necks. So, if if you have watched uh, Seinfeld or Curb Your Enthusiasm or Veep or uh, the upcoming, uh, I believe they're called the White House Plumbers, this is the product and the work of a genius named Dave Mandel who um, worked at Saturday Night Live, worked his way into Seinfeld. And uh, has become one of the most brilliant writer, director, producers of our time, having worked with, again, Seinfeld and Larry David, uh, Julie Louise Dreyfus, all, all of them. I mean, just the, the guy is uber talented, and he's also a giant, super comic book freak. I had the pleasure of meeting Dave in 1998, 1999, and he, uh, just enormous comic book fan, wears it on his shoulder, uh, is, is, uh, is, is uh, very eager, as, as so many of us are in the hobby, to always talk about the history and, and his love for comics. We are roughly the same age, uh, grew up buying all the same stuff. He wrote the foreword to this Spider-Man Toshin book. I'm going to read some of this here. It starts with, sing it with me. You know the words. Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Does whatever a spider can. Spins a web at any size. Catches thieves just like flies. Look out. Here comes the Spider-Man. We all know these words. I read Amazing fantasy number 15 the first appearance of spider-man and the initial 20 issues of stan lee and steve ditko's amazing spider-man in Pocket Books reprint series my mom bought me at our elementary school book fair in 1979 boom there they are the same stuff i'm buying at the drugstore and the grocery store there they are unbeknownst to me at the time ditko had left the book 13 years before and lee had stopped writing spidey as of issue 110 back in 1972 none of that affected my enjoyment level i was officially hooked on comic books, Marvel Comics and the wall crawler himself. The list of creators who have worked on the Amazing Spider-Man since its creation is far too long to list, but it does does not matter to me because the only Spider-Man that really counts is the one by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. Okay, this opening paragraph is it's as if I wrote it myself. We are on the same wavelength, the the we, Dave Mandel and myself are simpatico. Also Dave Mandel Famous episode of Seinfeld, the yada yada. If you've seen it, it's got the anti dentite. It's got Kramer and the dating the two girls. It's um, it's it's a really fun, crazy. It's got the the phrase yada yada. That is written, produced by Dave Mandel, starring my, uh, well, co-starring co-starring my sister-in-law, my wife's sister was in that epic episode. So it's it's really fun. The whole the Dave Mandel of all of this, but this this creator, the, the, this paragraph right here. The only run that counts is by Stan and Steve. That's how I feel. He says, uh, far too much energy has been wasted by the comic book community, arguing which of these two giants deserves the credit for Spider-Man. But Stan wrote this, but Steve clearly came up with this. Dave goes on to mention right here, he says, I do not care. I mean, I care, but you have better things to do than to go down that rabbit hole, he suggests. What I do know for sure is that while the two men achieved other levels of renown on other books, working with other creators, and even at other companies... The first 38 issues of Spider-Man, plus his first appearance, and two incredible annuals are the high-water mark of my young comic book reading life. They are a master class in comic book creation whose influence is still being felt today. It's not shocking that so many of the various Spider-Man movie plots are taken directly from the Lee Ditko run. He says here, The 20 issues you now hold in your hand are roughly the first half of that triumphant collaboration. The stories are exploding with creative energy. You can feel Stan Lee and Steve Ditko throwing things on the wall to see what sticks, like a spider. Sorry. And figuring out what works. The comic literally gets better in front of you as you read it, issue by issue. Ongoing plot lines get more complicated. The cast of characters expands and develops, and the stew really starts to simmer. It's a great soap opera. Between his sick aunt and trying to earn money from the monstrous as any villain, J. Jonah Jameson, Peter Parker's life is a mess, and each villain Spider-Man faces is more wild and outlandish than the next. Ditko matures as well as an artist. The early stories seem scratchier. The action often regulated to wide shots. As the comic evolves, the bad guys are still gruesome, but the art gets smoother. Ditko's storytelling gets more confident, more cinematic. Look at the mix of shots in the later issues, the action scenes themselves. He says, uh, comic book, This com, this was a comic book like nobody had ever seen before. Spider-Man was a kid. Peter Parker, not a reporter, not a millionaire, not a Norse god. He was just a kid and a nerdy outsider at that. And uh, he says, in fact, Ditko draws him like he missed a meal. He is is one missed meal away from passing out. The villains which Ditko draws so grotesquely develop an often tragic side to their story. We may not side with the Sandman or Doc Ock, but we can understand the horrors that have created them. Uh, Ditko reveals a Leith athleticism in Spidey's form. I love using the word leaf. No one uses leaf anymore. It's L-I-T-H-E, leafs. Lee, it, it it's, it's so true. Um, while Lee embraces Peter Parker's inner id. Uh, if you've never read these stories before, I'm jealous of what you are about to experience for the first time. If you are like me, then you get to relish reading these stories bigger and bolder than ever. Either way, in no time, you'll be singing along Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Friendly Neighborhood, Spider-Man. Wealth and fame, he's ignored. Action is his reward. To him, life's a great big bang-up. Wherever there's a hang-up, you'll find the Spider-Man. What a loving, just kind of, you know, forward that Mr. Mandel has expressed here. And I agree with all of it. And it's, again, g- given that we are of the same age, we experienced those pocketbooks, we experienced, to me, like the greatest stories. I mean, there were some really weird, like, you know, um, yeah, characters that, that that Spider-Man later post Ditko he battled characters like the kangaroo which to this day is like you got to see the kangaroo. Kangaroo is kind of a whack villain. I'm not sure that Steve Ditko would have been up to the task. Uh, I think I think he may have um completely just not attempted the kangaroo, but the core of villains um with the exception of somebody like Ven- Venom and the eventual uh kind of He, he, in and of himself, is a sequel and and somewhat of a derivative Hobgoblin to Green Goblin. The original cast of Spider-Man's villains is so strong, such a massive strength of creation. But I, myself, cannot uh, get completely on the off-ramp of who created what, because it's too interesting to me. It's far too interesting to me. And the fact that the men left so bitterly, so angrily, Ditko uh, vowed not to work with Stan again and would never revisit Spider-Man. He was asked repeatedly. Of course he was asked. He So many people who came up, who became editors, who became writers, wanted to work with him, wanted to have him um, uh, uh, recreate that experience. And he did not want to do work that would be judged against his original work in any way so he steered clear of that successfully. And uh another uh you know aspect of this Toshin uh collection is is in the the recollections of one Ralph Macchio. yes, spelled exactly the same way as the Karate Kids Ralph Machio. I knew this Ralph Macchio before the 1984 Karate film because Ralph Macchio was a name that was appearing in my comics around 78, 79, 1980. He talks about the uh, he talks about Stan's contribution to uh, to to, to Spider Man, and then he goes deeper into. Uh, Steve Ditko's contribution, but I would be remiss not to speak of a 1999 cartoon that Steve Ditko himself produced. It is out there in the interwebs if you'd like to look it up. Uh, if you just do Steve Ditko Spider Man creation, it'll come up. It says Tisk Tisk by Steve Ditko, 1999. It has two panels prominently in the center. One just has text and one has art. They are meant to contrast. The Stan Lee of it all to the Steve Ditko of it all. Steve uh, would when I say that Steve when I say my wife is like no one knows who Steve Ditko is and he's semi responsible for that. Let me follow up on that. Steve was a giant, massive as 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 uh, as reclusive as one could possibly imagine. Uh, he 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 really defined recluse. There was an article I think done by the New York Times a couple of years uh, earlier in uh, the same author that did a book that slammed Stan Lee. Spent a couple of days outside of Steve Ditko's office in New York looking for an audience with him. And, and eventually, you know, he is just told through a slit in the door that that's not going to happen. Steve is not going to be, you know, having an audience with him. Many people, my, professionals, as well as fans, you guys have shown me the letters and the correspondence. People have, people caught on this train. They understood where they could mail their their letters to, and they did. And again, Steve Ditko did not make a discernment between superstar, writer, producer, and uh and 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 you know casual fan. He wrote back to everybody who wrote him. And I have had the pleasure of, in both cases, some of my peers and some of the really great members of fandom that I've had a chance to meet have shown me their handwritten online paper with a ballpoint pen, scribbles of Steve Ditko, and and he like you know honestly in anyone's assessment writes back in kind of the the in a manner that you would imagine a serial killer is is writing the police to taunt them about his next you know victim or or what crime he's uh uh committed it's very scattered it's um their their sporadic thoughts uh they they tend to ramble a couple of them that i have read do go into detail about how he feels about not giving the being given the full credit for creating Spider-Man. But these are um just like like it, it's 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 like letters from a madman. And um I, you know, it doesn't bother me one iota imagining that someone as genius, as talented, as immensely uh, you know, gifted as Steve Ditko was was maybe crushed by the weight of his own talent. That's kind of what I, you know, can can ascertain. I mean, Steve Ditko went on and created Hawk and Dove. He created the original Hawk and Dove. He created the Creeper. Um, Question. So many uh, of the characters that you saw Echo's derivatives of in The Watchmen. Um, Speedball. He came back to Marvel. He he, he, he he threw them a curveball with Speedball. Really cool, awesome character, which I had had a chance to depict him myself. He's great looking. He has a lot of Spider-Man vibes in him. But Steve Ditko never, ever uh, stalker. He did, he did a cool sword and sorcery uh, uh, comic. I mean the guy continued down an, an extremely prolific path and and again i have not pivoted completely into uh, all that he gave us when he gave us doctor strange and clea and baron mordo and dormemu and nightmare uh i mean this guy this guy was a visualist and a creator and an and, and an illustrator uh who who to me only has one possible peer in the king of comics himself jack kirby I, hide, I hold them both in as high a regard as you can possibly hold anyone in the artistic medium of comic books and graphic novels. Um, they are the, if it came down to just two guys and you had to pick two guys, those are my two, you know, because look what you get when you get the two of them. And I'll let you count up all of their, you know, various contributions. The Stanley of it all, and, and why there is a, in this illustration that I'm describing to you that Steve Ditko did, the Stanley of it all has always been subject to to, to debate. And, and I did an entire podcast on Stanley where I believe he falls into uh, 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 the, 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 what I believe his proper, uh, his proper role should be acknowledged as, and, and, and again, Stanley had family. He, he had a, a family, he had family connections to Marvel family money. Um, he was absolutely part of management. But that doesn't mean for me whatsoever that Stan didn't have passion for what he did. He, he absolutely did. But he truly was more of the host of Marvel Comics, um, making sure that true geniuses had room to manifest their talents, like Kirby, like Ditko. Kirby had a style of creation prior to working with uh, Stan. Challengers of the Unknown is literally the Fantastic Four, Sans the Superpowers, um, it is a, you know, group of scientific explorers who go in and, and, and into, you know, into sci-fi spaces and encounter creatures and the unknown and very much in the vein of Fantastic Four. And when they came out, people made those direct comparisons. Fantastic Four seemed as if it was an extension, a, a, a superhero extension of what Jack had been doing on Challenger of the Unknown. Again, Jack Kirby and and Joe Simon created Captain America, which long predates any of Stan Lee's contributions to the comic book world. That doesn't diminish Stan in the least. Stan knew to let let powerful creators create powerful visions that would compel all of us. Did he script over them? Did he uh, uh, polish? I do. I believe that's what he did. Did, did. Did at some point in time that credit get challenged as a result of him being related to and part of management, yes, I believe that's part of it. I believe that that is the end-all be-all, but you cannot diminish whatsoever the works that were done outside of Stan and how creative and expansive and how uh, revolutionary they were. I mean, we are... Jack went on to create the premier DC Comics villain that, that looms over almost every franchise, the Legion of Superheroes, the Justice League, Superman. Uh, having risen far beyond the comic that he was created in the New Gods. I'm talking of Darkseid. Darkseid has become the preeminent uh, action figures, toys, games, movie representation, cartoons. That's, again, a product of Jack Kirby without Stan. Steve, again, goes and, 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 and does not sit idle and become irrelevant. Now, neither Stan nor Jack created something greater than the Fantastic Four, the Spider-Man to, that, that we know of to date at this time. But I also will give a little insight into when you work for Marvel and you have this great success and you do this great work, that is ultimately what will probably and most likely define you for the rest of your life. Marvel is a giant uh, a giant brand, a giant entertainment uh, uh, label that has a multitude of fans going back to when these guys did this. You don't do a 100 of... Issues of Fantastic Four, walk away and expect the fans to um, applaud your decision. Ditto what Ditko did after leaving 38 issues of Spider-Man. I've been there. When I left Marvel, left X-Force, launched Youngblood, launched Image Comics Extreme Studios when I was doing an Extreme Tour in the second year when we were just, I mean, everything that we were doing was ridiculously successful. We did a signing at Jim Hanley's Universe in New York, New York City and I had all the extreme guys with me and we did like a 7-hour signing. We didn't anticipate a 7-hour signing, but the, the 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 turnout was intense. It was massive, it was immense. Thousands of fans. And really middle of the middle of the signing, a middle-aged fan with a beard and his cap on because it was cold outside. And I really felt for these people. I was trying to you know, get as many of them packed inside with us as possible because they actually didn't have the signing at the store. They rented like a side building next to the store to house all of us so that the fans would go through there. And uh, a guy, when he got up to me, now mind you, he had waited probably three 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 and a half hours at that point, threw watered up pieces of paper in my face. Now the guys who were signing with me at the time, Marat, Brian Murray... Norm Ratman, these guys, they were there. They watched it, like wadded pieces of newspaper at my face because, again, this is how I was greeted. I, I felt them bouncing off my face. And he accosted me and yelled at me, how dare I leave Marvel Comics? How dare I lead a movement that took some of his favorite artists away, is, is the words that he said. And, uh, you know, you, you should have stayed at Marvel. I wanted more Marvel work out of you. I wanted more Marvel. This is the epitome of of a in a middle-aged version of this of the marvel zombie that i have discussed in other podcasts that 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 marvel knew they had a fan base that just wanted marvel 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 did i have met guys who never read dc comics who only and this was the big shocker followed us to image it was marvel to image they didn't like they didn't read superman batman the super friends justice league teen titans legion omega men none of it and uh you know, I'm, I'm, I'm greeted now. They escorted this guy away. I, there was no, again, he's throwing paper at me and accosting me. It kind of spit on me, but uh, no big deal. I mean, it, it it was, it was, I I felt bad that he had that anger inside of him, but it was also, you know, right there for you to see a physical manifestation of this giant Marvel fan who's angry. And I have been told in years past that there are people who are super pissed that Jim stopped his X-Men run, Todd stopped his Spider-Man run, I stopped my X-Force run to go do something else. They wanted that continuation. So anything that comes after what Jack and Steve did in their respective biggest you know, successes at Marvel is always going to be met with some, especially during that time of a time. Everything is of a time. And of this time, people were resentful that these guys weren't sitting in their chairs and putting out more Fantastic Four, more Thor, more Spider-Man. So... Jack and Steve's creations continued. They were both ridiculously creative. I've covered this in the Stan Lee episode. I truly believe Stan was the Ryan Seacrest of Marvel Comics. He was the host. This is Marvel Comics. You know, Ryan Seacrest has been there with every American Idol iteration, no matter who's sitting in the chair, Jennifer Lopez, Paul Abdul, Katy Perry. Um, and, And yet he is the constant. He is the host. He is your welcoming uh spirit your hand stretched out to come and try out perform he interviews them he carries them to the stage he he, he he talks to them afterwards he is the face of American Idol in the same way that Stan was the face that's not to say Stan was not talented and did not contribute but I just do not believe based on what I have seen based on the very um specific talents that these gentlemen bought brought to the table because Jack did not share a design sense at all whatsoever with Steve. And Steve did not share a design sense whatsoever at all with Jack. You cannot look at Galactus and Green Goblin and find a connective tissue. You cannot look at Dr. Doom and Craven and find connective tissue. They're very different, which is why I do not believe one iota that Stan was art directing or creating in any way, shape, or form the look or the feel of these characters. And I'm gonna get into what Ralph Macchio says here in a minute. But I'm gonna get back to this very delayed Steve Ditko illustration. Tisk Tisk by Steve Ditko, in 1999. What happened to common sense? It says, and common sense is bolded. On what factual grounds do some people talk right and claim that Spider Man is a one man creation? It says, Stanley's Spider Man creation, and this is the one box. And it says, Spider Man, one or two page synopsis for artists who must draw 21, 24 pages of story art panels dialogue will be added working from artist rough panel script okay that's the stanley in steve ditko's illustration that is the stanley entrance and then there's question marks in between in the in the in the the, the, uh the uh the gutter between the two panels that's the space between the two panels called the gutter it says steve ditko spider-man creation and it has spider-man in this great pose his 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 right hand is spraying out webs to you the spider Uh, sense is tingling he's throwing a web and he's clinging to the roof with his hand on the other he's flashing a Spider-Man signal from his belt he's got the full Spider-Man costume on and half of the face is Peter Parker It says Steve Ditko's Spider-Man creation so it's just telling you in pictures below that it says is Marvel's Spider-Man comic book character a one-man creation or a co-creation and then he says in a lower um caption psst check Marvel's stationary mailing labels, which creation is used, word or art, name or costume. And then he says, anyone interested in facts or truth, and it has the scales of justice. He's driven. He's drawn out the scales of justice. This, in fact, is Steve challenging the notion that uh, Stan created Spider-Man, and, and clearly with an empty box with just text saying, hey, buddy, go make a comic and I'll dialogue it when you get back to the physical manifestation, the lines, the art that Steve used. It's an interesting argument. It's one that none of us will know ever for sure, but we can draw conclusions. We can absolutely draw conclusions. And uh, the interesting thing that I would be remiss in in all of this, Ben Cooper Halloween costumes was a thing in the fifties. The Ben Cooper Halloweens, whether it was a ghost or a witch or or a, or, or a princess, or a knight. Ben Cooper in the 50s, 1954 specifically, put out these costumes. I would grow up wearing a version of these costumes, a cheapy plastic Frankenstein mask, a cheapy plastic Planet of the Apes mask. Um, the Planet of the Apes was licensed, the Frankenstein was not. The monsters were just there for anyone to adapt. Ben Cooper, Inc. had a Spider-Man costume in 1954, which was is predating, obviously, by eight years, the, de- the debut of Spider-Man, and this—I'll include this in the, in the in the pictures, the images with the podcast. This Spider-Man costume is very much in the vein of what Steve Ditko came up with. It there the, the face and aspects of the costume are 100% indicative. Maybe give a roadmap could be argued as maybe the most influential aspect on the costume of Spider-Man. Again, can't tell you for sure. But the fact that this predates it by as it's, it's, it's me and the six maned arm It's me and, you know, Cable has a, you know, Cable has a right bionic, a, a left bionic eye, okay? Steve Rogers had a left bionic eye. Uh, Cable has one cybernetic, you know, arm. Steve Rogers had one cybernetic arm. Um, two bionic legs, you know, all of this was a blueprint that I took many years later from my childhood, and applied it to a character named Cable, you know? And then, of course, we found out that that some of that was a product of a virus and not quite, you know, bionics, but it was, an, it was manifested as cybernetics. So the Ben Cooper Halloween costume is to Spider-Man what Steve Austin, Lee Majors, could, I'm saying, I'm putting it out there, that something in 1954 is to Spider-Man what something in 1976 was to Cable. Just food for thought. Um, so, whew, the, the, the the Steve Ditko of it all, Ralph Macchio, part of management. This is the most interesting part because he was part of management. Okay. Part of management at Marvel for over 20 years. He says I was able to get a sense of how large a contribution Steve Ditko made to Amazing Spider-Man because of the many conversations I had with him through the years at Marvel. During the 1980s, I was privileged to work with Ditko on a comic book series based on Indiana Jones. Steve was assigned the penciling chores and often received a plot synopsis from the writer working in the Marvel style. About a week after receiving the synopsis, he would come into my office, because Ralph Macchio was an editor at Marvel, with the synopsis marked up with his notes. Steve then sat down next to me and showed me his notebook-sized pages on which he had roughly drawn out the entire story. These layouts were just sketches, but as is true for film storyboards, the story was all there, albeit in sketchy form. He'd show me how he had laid out the entire issue by pointing to the marked-up synopsis and corresponding notebook page with the visual. I was able to see how he approached the narrative and solved any problems that the plot may have presented to him. I was simply in awe because I was privy to the creative message employed by one of the absolute greats of the comic book industry. Listening to Steve Ditko was one of the best lessons a young editor could ever have had in the craft of visual storytelling. Of course, Steve's involvement with Spider-Man was much deeper than it was on Indiana Jones, but I was at least able to catch a glimpse of the genius at work there. When I worked with Ditko, I engaged with him in conversations about his time on Spider-Man. He said that as time passed and Stan became more involved with his management duties at Marvel as editor-in-chief and publisher to an ever-enlarging line of comic books, more of the storytelling burden was falling on artists like himself. On the Spider-Man title, Ditko reached the point after several years, and in fact, if you read interviews with Ditko, he fought for this repeatedly for years, where he finally got to be listed as plotter. In other words, Steve Ditko was more and more responsible for determining where the life of Peter Parker, his colorful alter ego, and his cast were heading. Even from the beginning, though, Ditko functioned as much more than just the penciler of the series. He has often stated it was his idea to give Spider-Man the full face mask, and a very distinctive costume that has become a classic in superhero design. The Spider-Man Facebook was, face mask was a stroke of genius because any reader could then see himself behind the mask, and that is certainly a part of the web spinner's appeal, that of the everyman hero. Throughout, Ralph Macchio comments at how he can see what was really significant contributions This Steve Ditko. He also talks about the what I believe is the greatest. I know the Batman fans take great umbrage with this, but there is no greater rogues gallery than Spider-Man's, especially when looking at just this first year. Now, everyone kind of, you know, again, Batman fans immediately go to, to, to Joker, but Joker is a sinister clown, and I will give you that he is an excellent depiction of a sinister clown. He's got a great name, he's a great character, but it is the breadth. You have Doc Ock, Vulture, Green Goblin, Craven, Sandman, Mysterio, all A list, all A list villains in my book. Massively powered, massively menacing, from the Vulture's drooping, aged, very sharp featured, you know. Uh, face Electro's outlandish electric mask, the 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 sheer goopy dripping, you know, semi mud sand textures of Sandman, the menace. How Doc Ock just stays stationary while the arms move around him, and it is so well. The, every time uh, that 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 they have had um, Doc Ock on screen, uh, it, it 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 he's it is like a Ditko drawing come to life. We haven't seen, seen Craven on film yet, but we're about to. And then the Mysterio, uh, depiction of Mysterio via the Jake Gyllenhaal, you know, um, Far From Home film was fantastic. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man Annual, for me, for my money, is the single greatest Spider-Man one-shot ever. It culminates um, partially, I believe, because he had to fill the space. And Steve Ditko really didn't do big, splashy images. But each one of these villains that I just told you uh, Electro Sandman you know the entire rogues gallery tackles him uh, they have a conflict they have an they have a they have a uh they have you know conflict with Spider-Man and Each one culminates in a full page, splash page of them battling. Either Spider-Man's punching them or they're punching Spider-Man. But it's it's the most Kirby-esque I've ever seen Ditko. And it's almost as if he's like, well, I have all these pages to play with because this annual is 76 pages. Can you imagine getting an annual today, a single comic with 76 pages of entertainment? But you did. You got it here. And this annual is magnificent. I think it represents, uh, again, as, as as so many have said, from Mandel to to, to to Ralph Macchio, you saw Ditko's art become more and more polished. I've said in another po- podcast, looking back, Steve was the better illustrator in at the early Mar- Marvel days than, than Jack was. Jack was still finding out the visual language, discovering kind of how he would hone his style after doing it for many, many years, but he was still sponging and becoming, to me, the greatest version of himself, which would, would would be around you know from 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 Fantastic Four like forty five on, and then it lasts for like a decade. He's just fantastic. But early on, Steve is more refined. Steve is uh, just brilliant storyteller. And again, sometimes people have I've seen them share like Stan Lee as a teenager and said, this is obviously Stan based on himself. He looks just like Peter Parker. Have you seen Steve Ditko as a teenager? Steve Ditko was looking in a mirror. Peter Parker looks exactly like Steve Ditko did. Exactly. And again, the mannerisms, the slouch, that Mandel's description that he was one meal away from, you know, dropping and fainting. Um, just this, this emaciated form and then again the I'll say it again, Leith LithE, the Leith athletic body that Ditko gave him. He didn't have giant muscles and buff arms, but he was formidable in a fight, utilizing his powers and his extra reserves of strength and speed against all manner of these crazy uh, you know villains that were so colorful, so uh, meaningful, so impactful. Uh, I obviously give a tremendous amount of the success of Spider-Man to the visuals. Again, I've always said, and writers don't like this, and I myself am a writer. I have written stories for comic book artists to draw, but comic books are the the dominion of artists. They are the dominion of the visualists. Um, There are writers who really understand comics well, the page turns, the cliffhangers, uh, the absolute fun that you can have. But it is the dominion of of, of of artists. Otherwise, they're novels. And I am not in the novel business. I have not, I don't pretend to be in the novel business. I've never been in the novel business or the screenplay business. This is comic books and it is a visual medium. And Ditko was and is and remains one of the absolute finest. Now, as the years go by, Gil Kane, Ross Andrew, these guys would contribute massive amounts of amazing storytelling to the Spider-Man mythos, and then Todd McFarlane, Eric Larson—I believe two of the best Spider-Man artists—are Todd and Eric, um, and they are, you know, modern peers of mine. But they got the creepy part. They got the creepy part. The Ramita fans are will tell you he is their favorite, and 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 there is no reason to believe that he shouldn't be. He John Romita Sr. draws beautifully. Pretty line, very polished. The reason I have never been taken by Romita Sr. is, is I'll use my wife and I. And, and ironically, again, this choice is going to fall on my choice, but I have been with my wife almost 30 years. She does not appreciate and or love or consume vanilla of any kind. Vanilla is my middle name. I have vanilla shakes. I have vanilla cupcakes i like vanilla icing vanilla cake i have vanilla ice cream i have never been with my wife at any ice cream joint whatsoever and we hunt them down she has never had a scoop of vanilla not in front of me and she's told me she doesn't vanilla it's blah it's blah she likes mint chip she likes you know she likes a coffee flavor she has all different manner of, of different um you know uh, uh flavors that she likes to indulge in. She does not do vanilla. She will not try my vanilla cupcake. There is a cupcake place here in town that makes the absolute best vanilla icing vanilla cupcake that I have ever had in my entire life. She does not go for the vanilla vanilla, ice cream vanilla, cake vanilla. Jack, to me, vanilla is delicious. I love the sweet taste of vanilla. I, again, my vanilla lattes, vanilla. It's vanilla. I love it, okay? And, and, and Kirby... Is vanilla Kirby? I'm sorry. Excuse me. Let me backtrack. John Romita Sr. is vanilla. I, I think it's polished. It it is what I imagine. That 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 someone who doesn't like the creepy aspects of Steve Ditko or the more creepier aspects of Todd McFarlane, because McFarlane and uh, 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 and Eric incorporated the creepiness that I love out of Spider-Man. The vanilla works best, in my opinion. On page from Ramita Senior on Captain America, looks brilliant. Now, Ramita Senior, again, there's an entire cult of uh, that, that worships him that believes he is the best Spider-Man artist of all space and time, and they are welcome to that opinion. I just happen to like a creepier version. In when it comes to Spider-Man, I do not want the vanilla. I then become my wife. I want the pralines and cream. I want the mocha coffee flavor. I want the mint chip and and that's kind of how I break it down. There's nothing wrong. We're both have an ice cream. She just doesn't like vanilla, but in comic books there are people who who that's what they run to. And and in and in my Spider-Man, I like something a little spicy, a little more on the pralines and cream and the mint chip train, and that is the Spider-Man that I seek out and that I like. And the more kind of streamlined that Spider-Man is, the less interested I am in him. I love the creepy. I love I love Craven, I love Mysterio, I love Vulture, I love Doc Ock, I love Green Goblin and they were all depicted in my opinion the best and most like eerily by the esteemed master that was Steve Ditko who again if you've listened to this a lot of Spider-Man to me falls on the success of this madman who wrote people these letters these Handwritten, you know, ballpoint pen ramblings. They are the ramblings of a madman. One day, maybe you know somebody can, you know, uh, uh, collect all of the different, uh, you know, penmanships, all of the different, you know, uh, uh, back and forth exchanges that, that that Steve Ditko did with all manner from fan to peer to pro, and 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 you'll get a glimpse inside of this this tr- you know true madman. Um, and and I think it came out in the work. I think everything he did was an extension of that. Doctor Strange as well. But this Toshin book is the best represent, representation of this Bar none period. You know, um, again, I just I, I just I just fall so much on the side of the artwork. And again, Peter Parker looks like Steve Ditko, a skinny little you know uh, nerd kid. And uh, interestingly enough, in this, he reveals to Ralph Macchio that he would never, ever... Mary Jane was always spoken of, um, but never seen, not seen until John Romita Sr. And that alone, John Romita Sr. was born to draw beautiful faces, whether they were men or women. But I don't think he ever drew anyone more beautiful than Mary Jane Watson. Now, also, I want to say his son, John Romita Jr., has gone, you know, following his footsteps early in his career has done multiple runs on Spider-Man. I actually prefer John Romita Jr. Spider-Man to his dad's. It has a little bit more of that edge, a little bit more of that creepiness. But again, that's just me. To each his own. You like vanilla? My wife likes pralines and cream. I like vanilla. My wife likes mocha, okay? Ice cream. (laughs) So anyway, uh, Spider-Man. Spider-Man is 60. And when I was a kid, I, I consumed these these adventures. I also, there was a web shooter that was out that you'd put around your your, your wrist with a velcro a velcro like clasp and it shot out a dart that had a line on it. And 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 man, you just wanted that to hit the wall exactly so that, that 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 um dart would sponge into the wall with with that suction cup suction cup dart. And uh man, they they also at the same time in this Nicholas Hammond Spider-Man, There had a motorized, it was on the expensive side, I had to wait for like a birthday or a Christmas. The funny thing is, it was the cast, it had no 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 mobility, it was like a statue, a plastic hollow statue with batteries, and Spider-Man's one arm was up in the air, and the other was by his side, and he was standing up straight, he was almost in a Statue of Liberty type pose, but what would come out of him, of the extended arm, was a line, a string, and you attach that with a hook, and then when you hit the button on his... the the, the switch on his back he would pull himself up the 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 you know the coil would 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 pull and and uh collect the string and give you that sense of movement and that's it and then maybe you could swing him back and forth and they even had TV commercials for this thing you can go to youtube and check it out but it's like climbing wall climbing Spider-Man no uh articulation whatsoever on the one that I had it was just straight up straight down but it was Spider-Man he was red he was blue he had those big eyes Spider-Man really was and remains Marvel's, um, the, the crown jewel of the collection. But at 60 years old, I encourage a look back to the original, this Toshin book does it better and in a more spectacular fashion than any I have ever seen. The, the actual printing, the publication is just amazing. It's astounding. And I, uh, I applaud it. I, uh. I, I encourage you to seek it out. Look up all the different stories, Steve's version, Stan's version. I know um, Stan has come under a lot of fire. There's a book that's not terribly flattering about him. I think that book goes too far. It's too mean. I think there's a, a a story in the middle where Stan Lee just knew how to get the most out of his creators, but because he was in management and his family had 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 ownership position, In Marvel, there was a reluctance to maybe portray the true creator credits as they were. Again, how is it then? I mean, if true, then Stan Lee would truly be the most creative man on the face of the planet in the entirety of the time that he worked with Jack and, and, and Steve and Wally Wood, who I've done a Daredevil podcast on that, where Wally quit Daredevil opposing Stan. Wally, Jack, and Steve, not the best of friends, all kind of had the same Uh, reaction, the same brushback against Stan Lee along the same lines but if Stan really was the guy single-handedly doing that then when each of them left the light switch got flicked off it just doesn't make sense because it's not reflective of what was going on because you, you can't be coming up with something as daring and crazy and amazing as Mysterio and Galactus at the same time separately with two different artists and then when they both leave none of that comes out of you ever again. That is the greatest argument to the you know, to the aspect that it really was these amazing visionary artists, but Stan knew to collect their work, to polish it, to publish it, and to get as much out of it as he possibly could, and be the host. But as regard in, in regards to Spider-Man, it is an amazing 60 years. Probably, in my opinion, the most successful. Uh, I think I think he's still growing in popularity. I would say Batman has had the last 30 years all to himself, but I can see signs that Spider-Man will eclipse that eventually. And become bigger than even Batman, which is saying something because I think for for my entire lifetime, Batman has been the bigger of the two heroes. But that is all you're going to get out of me today with Spider-Man. 60 years, this incredible collection, collecting the first 20 issues. This exemplary annual, this 76-page annual, you should see in reprint form, in some form. It is spectacular. It is, um, as Dave Mandel said, all that matters to me are these first 38 issues they did together. It never got better than that. For me, for him, maybe for you, it's something else. But seek these out and draw that conclusion for yourself. So there you have it in regards to this epic uh, collection of the early Spider-Man stories. And again, if there is one thing that I wanted to get across more than anything during this celebration of Spider-Man, is it how how I really believe these are some of the finest. You can drop them in anyone's lap, especially a kid or an adult, and, and get... Reaction to the visual sense impact story of of Spider Man. That's what we're doing. We're celebrating Spider Man. I think this this collection meant to celebrate Spider Man could not have been better curated. But along the way, obviously, I do enjoy uh, the, the 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 stories uh, over time. I mean, Steve Ditko very boldly creates this 1999. Uh, picture, which is, again, a bold challenge to his former collaborator, Stan Lee, in line with the challenges that Jack Kirby have put forth and Wally would have put forth. And yes, Stan Lee is a very con- controversial guy because, as I said, his position in management at Marvel with family ties uh, created an uncertainty. What, what is that uncertainty? What do you mean? Well, uh, in, in recent years, management has expressed to me that had I... Uh, showed them more documentation from the past that my own uh, credits would be uh, altered, and so what what it what it put on me was that I you know I should have done even more work, I should have done the gone the extra mile to to uh, to make sure that all of my bases were covered and that all of my acknowledgments were known. So what does that mean to you? It means the creator. It always falls on the creator to come forward and make the very best argument they possibly can armed with facts and, uh, timestamps and, uh, and, and publications, especially when they're by the publisher that, that you're, you're, you're possibly dealing with in regards to, uh, to getting your full due. I am always going to side on the, uh, on, on the side of the creator. I'm always going to fall on that side. Uh, I am a creator. Um, <clears throat> Management and, and publishers and, and corporations take a very different view of all of this. And especially back then, imagine that the the credits as they were being created were, you know, kind of an afterthought done again within the context of management, especially if you have family. And, 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 and there have been all sorts of things talked about, the family uh, ties that Stan had to timely slash atlas slash marvel all of those um you know names apply the thing is that uh the 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 in the world that we live in now where every uh tom dick and harry wants to tell you that some 60 second stretch on the screen belongs to them i fall on the side of the original creators always um it it is so presumptive presumptive to think that uh, that something just kind of comes from nothing. No, everything has a father, fathers. Um, it, it, it has a, a source. Sometimes that source throughout history is compromised. You're going to see it when Moon Knight comes on. Moon Knight is going to air soon. And even though I just did a podcast talking extensively to the creator of Moon Knight, Doug Mensch or Moench or however his name is pronounced. Apologies. It's M-O-E-N-C-H. I have never met him. I have never heard his name pronounced. So I am going on. Uh, that pronunciation uh, Don Perlin was the artist on on Werewolf by Night when he gave you know they, they collaborated in bringing Moon Knight uh, to fruition he in his interview talks about being very specific in regards to his direction but still you got to give the guy who um, writes from it if, if if a writer is handing in a very specific plot now David Michelin with Venom will go on through this as well saying he's very detailed you know uh, 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 laid all that out. I think, look, at, at best, given the Marvel system that exists at the time, you're at a 50-50 proposition, you know? If you are the writer and giving it to the artist, and that artist also happens to ink, uh, so he's pro- providing the full art for that, then it's a 50-50 proposition basically, you know, handed down. Um, the, the, uh, the, when I did, uh, I forget which New Mutants annual it was, but it, it was one of the Atlantis attacks, and there's a group of characters called Surf, and the writer of that, Louise Simonson, very specifically uh, uh, described each name and what she saw as visuals. I, you know, the 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 character of Eel is completely my own, you know, uh, uh, you know, kind of visual, and and uh, and and all of them. I just kind of, you know, no one told me to put two giant, you know, kind of uh, what what looked to be like straps down the side of one of the characters and and give one of them a flat top and pointy ears and uh and and one of them colored lavender and gray and and you know the the visual effects and the representation of those descriptions fell on me. So so again that is a 50-50, you know, prospect. But when you are coming to something and you have already created it in your mind. I mean again the writer, artist uh, who then involves a scriptor we've you know accounted for that if if the the, the coattails on on word balloon placement and script dialogue w- were tremendous in the 90s tremendous and it was something that you knew going in it's just you know uh it's it's a it's a great boon and and there used to be a lot of uh appreciation shown for that and then somewhere through the sounds of time there became a greater sense of entitlement as to what that exactly meant. And you know, again, what it then falls on is the creators to stand up and go, no, 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 no. Like Steve Ditko did. This is what was you contributed and this is what I contributed. And uh it's very interesting. And, and and because we don't have cameras and microphones and uh, you know, at the least, at the very least my generation has faxes has, um, you know, the timestamp of a fax that came through, um, you know, uh, the, 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 the liner notes in a publication, uh, there are certain, you know, uh, 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 absolutely recorded matter that, that, that can, that, that that can come forth and, and prove a point or prove a fact. But back then, late fifties, early sixties, really, really difficult. And so you just have to kind of then do the eye test and go, what was it about this character that made this character so special? I am here to tell you, I believe that falls on Steve Ditko, period. Just the if I could put a giant thud behind that period, thud period. So uh, again, Stan Lee definitely there uh, learned a lot from working with Steve Ditko enough to carry through after he left, and they even told John Romita Sr. by the way, a little bit of. A side note, they even told John Romita Sr. to, for several issues, draw like Steve Ditko. Steve is quoted, I mean, sorry, Stan Lee is quoted as saying how bad he felt having John Romita Sr. draw like Steve Steve Ditko so that the transition would be less jarring to the readers because they had become so accustomed to Steve Ditko. 60 years of Spider-Man, man, did we cover it all today. We tried to. Um, this Toshin book is very expensive, but those pocketbooks are probably much more affordable to hunt down there's Marvel masterworks. There's, there's numerous reprint books, especially around the time when the movies always come out, they get that Ditko stuff out there. Cause again, if you saw, um, you know, is it no way home? Whatever the last one was, cause they all have home in them. And you know, it's hard to keep track of. Yeah. I think it's no way home. I mean, those villains, again, the creators of that material are Ditko and Lee that, that is, you know, what, what you saw celebrated, what you saw expressed on screen. Because, like Mandel says in his opening, there's there's a reason that they keep going to those first 38 issues for so many of the important stories. So, come on, man. Good times, good times. This is the part of the show, as you know, if you are a long time listener, that we share your reviews, your recommendations. When you guys go on these platforms and you express your um your your uh, appreciation for, uh, you know. For, for, for what we're doing here at the podcast, I read them at the end of every show, and and uh, I am really ex- excited today uh, to share with you yet another uh, a review that I can that I can share with you guys. You guys are so generous on the Apple platform, on whatever platform you're listening. There's there's opportunities for you to give us a five star rating, write a positive review. We appreciate it. It helps help us stand out. I didn't really understand it my first year doing this, but as I entered year, year two, and now we're into season three. I, I, I do understand it. And, and again, my gift to you, my gift back to you is reading your review on air as I'm about to right now with Mile High Rob. This is uh, from a guy who signs his name DT. Uh, it's five stars, Mile High Rob, dot, dot, dot. And from Mr. DT, he says, I work as a sports television producer and I find myself on a couple of airplane trips a week to cover the NBA, the NCAA, and the MLB. Over the last year, Rob's podcast have been the best company on these mini flights. I now look forward to taking off and tuning into Liefeld and his hot takes on all things comics and pop culture. With a wink and a nod to Thundar, this podcast is more than a macho show. It's like a runway planet hurtling between the Earth and the Moon. Thank you and keep up the good work, Rob, signed DT. Again, mile high, Rob. Hey, thank you, DT, for that awesome review you guys are so great when you um leave these amazing reviews and these amazing um, recommendations for the show again we appreciate it so much thanks for getting the word out there uh i appreciate it just just uh like the way we celebrated mighty spider-man today who i just can't believe he's 60 he seems a lot older right well i'm on social media i love talking to you guys uh you can hear from me i can hear from you at Robert Liefeld, R O B E R T L I E F E L D. Yes, I spell it just like I have my entire life. Robert Liefeld is Twitter at Rob Liefeld, the shorter version, R O B L I E F E L D. At is is my handle on Instagram. So at Robert Liefeld on Twitter, at Rob Liefeld on Instagram. I read all your comments, all your remarks. I love talking to you guys, hearing from you guys. So make sure you chat at me there. This page has a dedicated page on Facebook, the Rob Observations with Rob Leifeld page on Facebook. You can look it out, look it up. You can find it. Um, hit a like, uh, leave a message. I'll find you. I will read it. I will respond. Thank you guys so much. I am all over Facebook. I am all over that entire platform. I dig it. So you guys, this is a time where we can confirm to each other that we are going to take care of each other. Take care uh, of ourselves mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically. Read a good comic, watch a movie, eat good food, have fun, enjoy your family. Kick back, chill. Wow, these last couple of years, man, they've uh, they've uh, tested all of us, right? So, so you are entitled to kick back, listen to a good podcast. Yeah, there you go. So, um, that is our admonishment. No, no, our admonition to each other. So, so, uh, uh, good, 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 hearing from you guys. Always enjoy talking to you guys. Thanks for taking time out to listen to this show. Circle back, meet you here again, where we will talk again real soon.